0: You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy, with Renew Economies editor, Giles Parkinson, and leading energy analyst, David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use, and Solar experts in solar PV, storage and
1: monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest edition of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as is usual is David Leach from ITK. David, um, how are you?
2: Giles, I'm very well. I trust all our listeners are well. Uh, It's uh, our, our election special podcast and I'd like to welcome our special guest in that regard. Yes, Peter Lewis, the Director of Essential Media a Research and Consultancy
1: Group. Um, Peter, thanks for joining the Energy Insiders podcast.
0: Hi, guys. How are we?
1: We're all very good. Now, have we voted? Well, we know? That's, voted. that's the question.
0: <laughs> have you? It, there's more every year. Um, we've got about 15% of people saying they've already voted, and we've got fewer now than 50% saying they actually wait till election day to vote. So it's, it's a bit of a trend and it makes the whole, you know, campaign a little bit different, doesn't it? So we've got um, half the population saying they'll vote on election day, but then it's half the electorate, they're not quite sure or going early or sending something in the mail. Um, so, it, you know, it, it, it's not the same sense that things reach a climate, a climax, sorry, Freudian slip.
1: There
2: isn't the obvious climax there used, used to be,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, I I, mean, I,
2: mean, I miss the cakes, you know. Like, I mean, I, I have to turn up on election day at the school and everyone loves the sausage sizzle and, and the cakes, but I must say I've been disappointed. If I vote early, it's because the quality of the cakes uh, will have gone down, but that hasn't happened yet. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm voting early because my son has chosen May 18th to get married, and um, he's been doing it um, south of Nara, which should be a lovely place, but um, we're not even going to have internet and mobile phone reception, which is probably a good thing, except if you're really craving the results of the election, so I'm to have to go through the yeah. whole thing on Sunday. But tell me, Peter... Waking up to a climate what?
0: apocalypse, if you're not careful after the, uh,
1: <laughs>
0: after the nuptials.
1: <laughs> Well, there's a lot of things going on on, on this weekend, actually. But look, anyway, what is, um, what's it looking like? Um, we, we're told that the polling is close, but really, is, is it really that close? I mean, is there a general expectation that Labor will get up or is there still a spanner in the works somewhere in the system?
0: My take is that for the coalition to win about 12 things that you'd say a 50-50 need to go right, all of them need to go right. And for Labor to win, one of them needs not to go wrong for Labor. So, I think the massive balance of probabilities speaks to. I think. I think the to a Labor win. I think the most likely outcome is a narrow Labor win of between, you know, two and eight seats. The next most is a more um, a, a, a more clear cut Labor win, and then the third most likely would be a hung Parliament with a coalition. Victory and narrow one at that, being the fourth most likely option. Um, and I think it's true that the polls, the top line polls, which are normally done on national samples of a thousand, have narrowed a little bit over the last few months. And that's a normal trend in elections, um, as you know, both sides start flushing out the undecided voters. I don't think. I still think there's a chance that there might be a bit of a wave in the final week and Labor wins more seats than people are now expecting. But, um, you know, the, the pathway for a coalition um, victory is very, very narrow and kind of involves picking up a few seats off Labor, picking back their independent seats, having a really good election in Tasmania and at the same time holding what it's already got in places like Melbourne when it's really under siege. So I think it's a hard ask, um, and I just can't see a way through for them. Hmm.
2: Peter, could I could I ask about demographics? I think it's the case that uh, there are still more, uh, a bigger percentage of older people in this election. You know, the baby boomers are still th- moving through the population cohorts, and they're the they're the biggest cohort, and that as people age, they tend to vote more conservatively. I guess when it comes to climate change, which affects younger people more, maybe this is something we should be thinking about.
0: Yeah, I think there are real generational lines in this
2: election, both um,
0: environmental and, I must say, economic. Um, the coalition pitch on economy is to maintain privileges that older people have had designed for them into the system on superannuation, negative gearing and franking that young people don't even know exist because they're so far away from being able to access them. It's not funny. Um, I think, though, what is interesting, so talk about demographics. There was a big baby boom. I'm of Generation X, which is a smaller cohort. But then the Generation Y, the baby boom as kids, is another... Sort of uptick in the population, and um, you know, particularly younger people entering, you know, into voting part of their lives now. Um, there have been there has been a surge um, over the last eighteen months um, on the voting rolls. One of the unintended consequences of the same-sex marriage plebiscite was that lots of younger people enrolled to vote in what was a spectacular own goal for um, the forces of conservatism in the country. So. I think that while older and more conservative people are still a a significant cohort, and it it does bear out in the polling where younger people do vote more progressively, I think that there is that wave that I, I I don't think that's going to be the determining factor of this election.
1: I'm just wondering if climate actually, well, what role is climate going to be playing in this election? We keep getting told that, you know, this is a climate election. I think we've been told that for a couple of elections now. We've certainly lost a whole, a whole bunch of prime ministers because of climate and energy policy. Um, what's, um, what role do you see it playing in this one? When you
0: ask people to identify their top issue or issues, it's it sort of sits under managing the economy health and education and, you know, over recent times housing. And then you get, you know, climate change in there and often depends how people frame it, whether it's transitioning to renewables or climate change or the environment in general. But it's fair to say that it's a second tier issue um, when you do the beauty parade sort of lineup of issues in polling. But it is also true to say that I think over particularly the last couple of weeks, it's become one of the key differentiators and closers for Labor's proposition into government that they're serious about it. Um, And even it's interesting to see the Prime Minister saying, yeah, we're doing everything, we've dealt with it. It's not like he's saying he doesn't want to set up that contest. Um, I think also one of the things Labor is differentiating themselves by, and it might speak back to that demographic as well, Um, that we were mentioning a second ago, is they're the party for the future. And definitely the story about the future includes the transition of um, our energy to a renewable future. And so I think, in a way, it exists as a problem to be solved on one level, but it is also being harnessed, in a way, as a part of the energy base for Labor's proposition to change government.
2: There's also been a number of things. I, I have to declare an interest in that my dad was a member of state parliament back in the uh, early 1970s and my mum was a mayor, so I've always had a keen interest in politics. Um, but there's also always been a perception that a, a strong leader uh, is perceived as uh, someone that's likely to get more votes. And at this time, we seem to have a one-on-one contest and then we have a team versus a one contest again. <laughs> Do you, I mean... Do you think people vote for teams or, or leaders or policies, or I mean, it, or does that vary from election to election? People will tell you they vote on the policies, but
0: the way that the campaigns normally run suggests that they think that it's much easier to explain people in this age of celebrity than it is to to explain policy. Now. In a way, the coalition's making a virtue out of necessity in running Scott Morrison as a presidential style candidate in that they don't have a huge suite of policies and they don't have a unified team. I think what Labor's trying to do is kind of more interesting in that they're consciously trying to make it a team feel and they're running on the Labor brand which is about being on the side of ordinary workers rather than the top end of town. And they've really been drilling that brand for a couple of years. Again, maybe out of necessity, Bill Shorten's never had the high personal approval rating. So we can go into that um, separately if you like. But in a way, Labor's proposition is we're a team. We've got a set of policies that's true to traditional Labor values. So we are what we are. Um, Bill surrounds himself with members of his teams at most of his daily press conferences. If you're tra- as tragic as I am to watch them in full on Sky or ABC, you'll see that he almost jumps in and then other people take the floor and it's almost a little bit of a, a tag team when they're running the daily media, um, whereas Morrison won't let anyone else talk. Um, so, yes, it's it's very much two different propositions. The the strong leader in a baseball cap versus the team Um, with a plan Um, so then then of course the great question is you've got that then you've got the the complication that fewer people get their news through the broadcast medium we've we've asked people how much attention are you paying to this election even last Monday we had um, 16% saying not paying any attention 29% paying a little attention which is like 35% of the the total, and then you've got another 10% that can't even answer any questions because they're so disengaged. So if you add all that up, you've got half the population that just aren't even interested in any great sense. So what's their thought processes? Are they just waking up on election day or a couple of days before and what's cutting through to them? Are they just seeing tax, tax, tax on a billboard, or a big fat yellow sign of a funny man who doesn't look very menacing, or do they remember that you know they bullied Bill on his mum and he shed a few tears? This is what turns yeah. elections, rather than um, the the policies and the costings and everything else. So, in a way. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of soul-destroying to realise that that's what the future of the nation hangs upon.
2: No, no one cares. That's right. It's what your life's devoted to and no one cares. I'll hand back to Giles in a second, but you, you mentioned you talk about Bill Shorten and his popularity or lack of it, which is something that fascinates me because I can kind of get that. When you, when you listen to him talk, it's there's no... I don't get a feeling of personal warmth that I might have got from, say, hearing Mike Baird talk... But when I listen to the words that he says, for the most part, they're they're reasonable and articulate, and and, and I just wondered why 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 doesn't he what's the reason for his lack of personal popularity? Like maybe we're
0: holding up a mirror to our own superficiality that we 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 need we need a smooth messenger. But I've got I've got a couple of theories. So if you look at um, Bill Shorten's um, approval ratings um, compared to both. Tony Abbott and now Scott Morrison his real liberal leaders will tend to have between 85 and 90 percent of liberal voters nominating them as their as the preferred prime minister which kind of makes sense you know but Bill has never got above 65 percent of Labour voters saying they're his preferred prime minister so I think there's a few things happening at once first if you're um, if you're old enough to have remember the last term of government, and you're a Rudd guy, you blame him for bringing down Rudd. If you're a Gillard person, you blame him for turning on Gillard. So he didn't ha- he didn't make anyone happy at that point. He's also got a sense of being, I guess, in politics, your strength is always your weakness. So Bill's great strength through his career has been his ability to bring people together and do deals. Um, you know, whether it be as a union organizer or, um. A minister in the first government, or just someone in politics trying to get ahead. Um, so deal makers don't make for compelling. You know, they're, they're it's they're not black and white. They tend to be people that that deal in the grey and find a way through. I remember it being um, worked for Bob
1: Hawke.
0: Yeah, but Bob Hawk, What Bob Hawke brought into Parliament was he'd had um, a career as ACTU president back in the day where there was a national wage case. So once every year, Bob Hawke would go to the commission and come out and argue for a pay rise that literally flowed through to every worker's pay packet. And the system was just much more centralised. And, you know, he was also, you know, a much more gregarious character, I guess, than Shorten. But, you know, one of the things that other people do um, observe is that one-on-one, he's pretty good and in a small room he's pretty good but something goes on in front of the camera and here we are talking about camera technique again rather than who's the best person to lead the nation and I guess in the age of celebrity that's something that everyone's got to deal with but I think it's more that progressives aren't convinced about Shorten because the sense that he'll do deals and because of his history um, in the last um, Labor governments.
1: I'd like to get on to that, um, doing deals um, in a moment. But first of all, um, you did mention that you were um, a, a a viewer of Sky News, or perhaps that should be the viewer Not of Sky it. News. Um, <laughs> please, you no, do the I day. said Sky or <laughs> please, please. I I whatever's <laughs> I, I finally found, found someone. <laughs> you finally found someone. Um, we've seen some extraordinary things there, particularly after dark and also in the Murdoch media, these scare campaigns. And they've, talk, they've taken an extraordinary um, you know, um, stature this time. I mean, some of it's just laughable. Do scare campaigns work and do you think they have this time? I think there's this thing that um, whenever you run focus group
0: research on negative, people will say they hate it. But the thing is then they can repeat the message back to you. So... Do I think uh-huh. that um, spending time making bills shorten the issue and taxes the issue will have an effect that's positive towards the coalition's campaign? Yes, I do. I think playing the man and simplifying the issue down has been effective. And I've got to say, as someone that does professional communications, the bill you can't afford brings those things together very well. Labor's much more it, it, nuanced what they're t-
1: so, yeah go on. no it, it, no that's okay so yeah no look um, no it's not a bad line the bill you can't afford but um but some of the things that we see in our own area um on the climate policy for instance and the costings that was done by Brian Fisher and commuted by the um the, the coalition government and, and some of the EV stuff that's been sort of pushed by Angus Taylor yeah just
0: extraordinary. so what so to so the rollout and you can see such a close I can't use the word collusion in Australia but there's something very symbiotic going on where there's Government modelling that may be kind of close to the the, the line, but um, has got a government name on it, goes into the News Limited, Sausage Factory, comes out on the front page of the Australian or the Telegraph, becomes the subject of a Scott Morrison press conference, and it becomes gospel, and then all of a sudden Bill's responding to it at his daily conference. That was kind of the the game plan on the first two weeks of the campaign, when Labor struggled to get momentum, but it was a very, you know, coordinated and calculated series. And it was only when I think the Fisher report was almost the line where that strategy stopped when Shorten basically um, called it out and just really went in hard on the actual, you know, author of the report Mm -hmm. and um, his background that it kind of, that that sense that you were just going to be, Um, defending yourself against some confected government bit of economic modelling, which, you know, as a pollster, I reckon polling's kind of – polling's not always accurate, but it's a lot more accurate than economic modelling and um, where you basically get what you pay for.
1: I'm I'm interested to know what you're you're saying about deals because one of the big questions I guess if um, let's assume that Labour does win the election um, we don't know whether they're going to do it with a um, majority whether they'll be relying on independence one of the big questions I get for Labour is with their ambitious climate policy and their renewables um, policies are they going to try and make it bipartisan and and deal with whatever's left of the Liberal Party and whoever might be sort of controlling things there or are they just basically going to give up and actually just go their own way and actually deliver on their own targets and their own promises? Um, because um, that's I think that's going to be a big concern. I think, you know, you're thinking, will it be 2009, 2010 with Rudd trying to cut a deal with the coalition or will it be the Gillard one? Well, Gillard was forced to deal with the Greens and the independents, but um, yeah, what do you reckon? I,
0: I, I, I guess the thought process is ultimately... A bipartisan deal on climate does end the energy wars. Um, Politically, I think last time Rudd saw the benefit in making getting Turnbull into a difficult position with his right flank and he sort of was too smart by half. But if he had landed that deal with Turnbull, um, we wouldn't have been floundering around for the last decade. I think the fact that Labor as a sort of mechanism... Um, has adopted the NEG framework shows that they'd rather lock in something that coalitions publicly advocated in the past and build from there rather than start the whole tortuous process from scratch. Um, does that mean it will be the most ambitious policy with the most ambitious mechanism imaginable? No, that's the role of the Greens in pushing pushing things further along. But does it... Um, give the government the best, a Labor government, the best chance of locking in something that stops being a political contest because business gets behind it. And, you know, there's a significant proportion of the coalition that just says, we don't want to have this fight anymore. Probably, yes. So um, Mm. you you can see the thought process that goes behind trying to find something that just, sits at the center of politics rather than something that's a contest on the left that the right will always try to undo
2: we've got I guess um, that- we've got we've got the whole um, bunch of uh, minor parties I guess in the lower house and then of course the Senate's a very uh, difficult proposition for any government going forward um, I'm not sure what my question is but is it important for a big enough win for one party or another um, to have a claim of a mandate and therefore to be able to get policies through the senate and will it will will that claim actually have any relevance
0: <laughs> you know the last time there was a majority in the senate was 2004 when howard smashed latham and of course it's now seen as the seeds of the destruction of the howard government because he had the ability to finally get work choices and industrial relations yep. through without a handbrake um, I I can't see any credible story that says either party has control of the Senate. And I think the fact that about 18 to 20% of Australians prefer minor parties to major parties means that the Senate, you know, that that's minor parties and, and independents do have a role in the Senate. It's reflective of the public. will. They, they want checks and balances. The difficulty goes when you get real outliers um, with balance of power. But yeah, the story's been over the last few parliaments that when people are put in that position in the Senate of 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 being the um, the watchdog, they've t- they've taken it reasonably seriously. Um, so. Um, I you know my personal view is that the optimum outcome is that labour gets a majority and has to navigate through the Senate not just with green senators but with some moderate senators in the right. so they don't get too far off their moorings and they keep it's not just one one group they need to do a deal with but but time will tell obviously on that.
1: Hmm. Where do you think we're heading um, there's been a lot of campaigning against some of the um, key right wing figures in the uh, in the coalition. What do you reckon is going to be the, the end result of that? Are they looking like they're going to are they going to manage to dislodge people like Dutton or Friedenberg or Abbott, um, Barn- or even Barnaby Joyce? I don't think there's been a major campaign against that, although there is a strong independent there. Um, Angus Taylor, I guess, looks reasonably safe in Hume. Um, Greg Hunt might be struggling a little bit in Flinders.
0: Mm. So um, I think it's public that the the strategy of some of the progressive groups, including GetUp, has been to target the worst of the right, hard right in their, in their eyes. Um, what's been going on there is pretty sophisticated campaigning, which involves volunteers, phone banking and ringing like-minded people in those seats for one-on-one conversations and local advertising and local events. My, my sense is that if that model, which has been you know, iterated over a few cycles is the future of politics, then Abbott and Dutton are both gone. If they survive, it shows that big money and, you know, old media still can prop people up. It's interesting. You know that in Warringah, the Telegraph has just by, you know, coincidence decided that they're doing a marketing push where they distribute free daily Telegraphs to every house in that electorate for the last two months. So they're doing everything they can. To um, keep their man in power, but the new the new politics isn't about um, big media. It's around conversations being distributed, you know, mouth to mouth through through telephones and door knocks and and to a lesser extent, you know, emails. So it'll be interesting to see whether that has an impact. But my gut says that both Dutton and Abbott are in trouble, um, and maybe um, you could see a couple of other of those targets. There was Christian Porter in the West, um, Nicole Flint in Boothby. It was interesting that Morrison was there today um, and um, a couple of others, um, you know, in Victoria. So, um, you know, my... Uh, own, I was going to ask... writer rider uh, is that uh, the, the, the independents in the lower house just um, still, still need to find a, a role for themselves as well because, you know, the, the, the role of executive government is still very much a team game.
2: That it's not their role. We're concerned about it's the uh, providing a lack of role for the for the people that are so anti climate change. That's that's what interests yeah. me. But I was going to I was going to ask you about betting odds, but I think I'll pass on that. And uh, just because you've talked several times about the uh, demise, which we all understand, of traditional media and the rise of uh, you know other forms of communication, like for instance, Renew Economy. But uh, uh, we've also got like uh, Facebook and Twitter. And, and and Instagram I, I guess what's the strategy of trying to be get influences in those uh, in those medium and, and how you can't and the impact that that has on, on on elections I mean how do you reach those people?
0: Yeah I think everyone's still largely making it up as they go along. Um, Facebook is a very powerful tool that allows you to target, um audiences with a great degree of sophistication be it through a a range of characteristics and both geographical demographic and interest that you want to target you can send tailor-made ads straight to them or even finding people that look alike the people that support you at the moment um so there's a lot of material that will be going into people's news feeds to um influence them um I suspect the same thing happens on Instagram, maybe through third-party influencers. My concern with all these social media platforms is that they're, the way they're set up, it's only ever for a very shallow sort of interaction where there's a few words and an image where outrage works better than reason and whether um, while a lot of political groups are spending a lot of time investing in trying to make these, these systems political tools, whether, you know, the superficiality that drives them is so you know, antithetical to a civic conversation that it doesn't actually give you what you're after anyway. Um, I go back to the best sorts of politics is face-to-face on the doorstep or through a telephone line where you're talking to people. And um, that seems to me to be the interesting part of this election. If If we see some of these campaigns that are really grassroots, volunteer-driven working, then that's really going to shift the needle.
1: Well, look, Peter, thank you very much for your uh, participation today. Look, I'm, I've got to say that I'm, I'm certainly hoping for an outcome which probably gives a Labor government um, maybe the mechanisms in the form of the NEG and the safeguards um, mechanism that actually provides some sort of bipartisan policy base, but then targets which are driven even further than what we've seen so far, because I think um, if you t- take the environment and climate change seriously, not to mention the economic opportunities that we have in renewables and... Um, you know, sort of shifting shifting the whole industry and the uh, exports, then um, then we're going to have to aim aim higher than what we've got now. Um, David, um, have you got any sort of final uh, thoughts? I just want to make one um, observation that um, the Australian Energy Market Operator was going to release its um, updated uh, um, scenario planning for the ind- um, integrated system plan, which is kind of like the blueprint for the grid for over the next 10, 20 years. And Part of that scenario planning, it was urged by some of the major utilities, was to um, you know factor in the acceleration, accelerated departure of the coal generators, and a, and a greater uptake of renewables in a shorter period of time. But they're not going to do that before the election, so they've decided not to uh, interfere in that p- process. But um, your final observation, yeah, so, before...
2: so global global Rome has also got its generator uh, report card, which is a very voluminous and uh, I think will be useful piece of information to those people, and they're not releasing it before the election. Uh, I don't know why, because as far as I can see, beyond asking how much does it cost, no one understands even the first... I doubt very few people have actually read the Labor policy. And, of course, the Coalition doesn't have any policy uh, whatsoever. And I suspect Angus Taylor has probably never met half the people from the AMC or AEMO uh, or or the Energy Security Board. So, in fact, you know, the awareness of, of, of what is proposed by the Labor Plan. And 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 look, I'm not uh, necessarily, uh, I'm an is- tried not to be tribal a person. I want to be an issues person, but I have to say, Mark Butler's written a book about electricity policy. Uh, um, the policies that the Labor Party has developed along the $5 billion for transmission infrastructure, the $10 billion to go into financing more variable renewable energy, uh, work hand in hand with what we know of the ISP so far. And and I think it's a policy very well worth supporting. I'll just leave it at that.
1: Good on you, Peter. Thanks very much. Any final thoughts before we go?
0: Oh, only that I think one of the mistakes we often make is to think that the election result is the end of the story, um, and then leave it to govern to go, government to govern. And I suspect that if Labor gets in, the um, attacks from the deniers and the vested interests won't stop so that anyone that actually cares about making the transition shouldn't think that um election night's the end of it and they've won because we've we've seen that movie before and we know how it ended last time so we've got to do things a bit differently next time i reckon
1: yeah, that's a very good another There'll be, na- there'll be another,
2: seven se- another seven series of Game of Thrones. Sorry, sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: may well be, mind you, after this week's um, Annihilation. I'm not too sure that's a good idea. Look, thank you very much, Peter um, Lewis from Essential Media. Um, thank you much, David. Thank you very much to our sponsors, um, Soleray and What Watchers. Thanks to all the listeners. Um, don't forget to vote. If you haven't done it before Saturday, do it on Saturday, and we'll be back with a post-election summary next week. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Wattwatches, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits
0: over the internet in real time. Visit wattwatches.com.au and take control of your energy use. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by Solarray Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business.
2: Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today.